0: You've made it back to Making Sense of Pets, the podcast. We're your hosts.
1: Veterinary technicians, Angela Ilya.
2: Ryan Frazier.
0: And I'm Becky Mosser. Today's topic is a tough one to talk about, and it's kind of a downer subject. But as veterinary technicians, it's an important one, and we are here to help you through all aspects of owning your pet. And this week, we're talking about euthanasia. Guys, there's a reason we were talking about euthanasia, like, right before Christmas, right?
1: Yeah, I think that unfortunately i don't know like what it is but a lot of people end up having to say goodbye to their beloved pets Uh, around the holiday season it just seems like um we see a lot more in the emergency room we see a lot more um pet loss in the icu and i'm not really sure like what what causes that Uh, but definitely around the holidays we do see an influx of uh, pet euthanasias
2: yeah i remember working in the er where one one year over Christmas, there was a day that we had on 19 euthanasias in one day. And it's devastating wow. to Oof. the owners and it's devastating to the staff. It's just a horrible time of the year for that.
0: Yeah, my mom's a registered nurse, um, I'm, you know, a human nurse. It's funny, in the veterinary industry, we always, like, specify. Yeah. And so she's a human nurse. And it, it felt very much the same for her um, in the human hospitals and growing up, I can remember the holidays being really tough on her. And a lot of it was because there just seemed to be a lot of death and loss around the holidays. And I don't know, you know, I, I don't know any veterinary professional who doesn't feel like this is kind of the same thing. And so I guess with this podcast being geared to pet owners, it might seem like an unnecessary downer of a subject this time of year. But when we talked about putting this show together and when we talked about t- covering this topic, we felt like there could be more pet owners out there than not dealing with this right now. And so um, we feel like it's an important thing to talk about and to try to help support you through this time. Like Angie said, when you're saying goodbye to your bov- beloved pet or if you are, are thinking about this. So um Before we started recording, I said, I kind of want to cover this from an uplifting and informative and loving place. Um, Ryan, can you kind of talk about, do you feel like to the way I feel as far as this, this is actually a gift um, that we give our pets and that we can help our owners and our clients understand um, and feel a little bit better about this decision, whatever time of year they have to make it?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think, in my opinion, it's one of my I guess it's kind of weird saying it's one of my favorite part of my jobs, but it's something that I'm I'm passionate about. I want to be able to be there to help control it, to make sure that the animal has a good death and also the owners are there to be able to get the time that they need to be able to be as ready as they can be for this. And I like to talk to the owners um, and try to help them figure out when's the right time to do it. So when I'm talking to them about euthanasia. I'm talking to them about finding maybe five or ten things that their pet loves to do. And then once you slowly start checking off that list, then you're getting close. You're getting closer to the time that it's ready. And for me, um, I would rather do it maybe a day too early than a couple days too late. And I, I love being able to talk to the owners about that and helping them find when it's right for them and when it's right for their pet.
0: Yeah I think um the the 5 to 10 things that your pet loves is something I I start with my clients when they're puppies Or kittens, And I say, you know, what are your pet's favorite things to do? And then every year on annual exams, I ask that question again. And it kind of helps me check the quality of life through the happy things that are going on in the household. And when when clients are able to think of fewer and fewer things, um, I start to switch over to happy days versus bad days. And so when we get to a point where we know um, our pets are in a hospice-type situation and that we know the end or the sunset might be coming, right, and we're in that time frame... But they they start to worry and wonder when because they don't you know there are going to be bad days. I start to help my clients learn um, when they recognize that we are no longer maybe doing all of the things that we love and that we are are counting the days we have left. Tracking on an actual calendar, good days and bad days can kind of I think help you get an overall vision of of how happy your your pet is um, on the day to day. Angie, in the emergency hospital, it can be a little bit different because in a lot of these situations, I think we don't get the time to help them through getting there, right? Because we have this acute situation happening. So I think about these like 12, 13, 14, 15 year old, what we, you know, we we know is our hemoabdomen dogs, like dogs that come in that have blood in the abdomen. It's usually caused by a bleeding tumor on the spleen. And now our clients are faced with putting their very old dog through a surgery that that could probably go okay, but it's still going to be pretty rough. Um... To you know, euthanasia right there in that moment because the pet is suffering. so it can be a little bit harder on the emergency side to cope with, right?
1: Yeah, I think that we, we deal with obviously sudden illness, so there's like two types of pet loss, I think. One is the kind of slow roll, like you've been treating an ailing pet and they're or they're aged, right? They're like 15, 16. Um, and then there's like the fluke, death of a pet or illness of a pet where you have like a younger dog, maybe like even a puppy, um, who eats something bad, who slips the leash and gets hit by a car, who um, you know, has some fluke uh genetic mutation, like a you know, a hole in the heart, or um, you know, a liver shunt, something like that. Uh so you have to make these kind of decisions way earlier than you'd expect. So I think that I have kind of developed the perspective in that you have to start enjoying your dog right now, like every day, but also telling yourself, you know, from the second you get that new dog home that like one day you will have to say goodbye to this animal. So, uh, it, those things might seem sad, but what it does is it, a makes you more grateful uh, for every like moment you have with your pet, and B, if the time comes, you, especially if your dog is older, uh, you've kind of been mentally preparing yourself to have to make this decision, uh, perhaps thinking about what would constitute um, immediate euthanasia versus like, let's try. Like if you have a hemoabdomen where your dog is uh, bleeding into its belly, are you going to cut it um, or have you decided that that's too far for you to go? So setting up those kind of boundaries in your head, like, yes, I would treat, uh, cancer, or no, I would not do a six thousand dollar MRI. Like having those expectations set up from the moment you you get your animal is really helpful uh, for you, and it's also really helpful for your dog or your cat because then right away, if the doctor says, "Oh, this animal needs an MRI," you know the answer is, "I already know that that is not." something I'm interested in so right there you can start moving forward instead of having to consider these things in the heat of the moment where your emotions of the situation and of the you know when the potential of losing your pet is there uh, sometimes that can make things very difficult to kind of process and come up with a kind of um, unbiased answer on the spot
0: I really I love that you I I try you know very similarly like to Ryan's point I think this is something we should be coaching our clients about and helping our clients think about their whole pet's life and to start to kind of create those boundaries because you're right making an emotion based decision in the moment can be incredibly difficult and you know we've talked about financial readiness and we'll talk about pet insurance and all of those things that can you know help in those moments so that they're not financial decisions but. It comes down to the quality of your pet's life, right? And so what I find is most of my clients look at me, they look at me in the eyes and they say, what would you do if this was your pet? And I think Ryan made a great point. For a lot of us in the veterinary industry, we actually do consider this a gift. We consider this to be one of the best parts of our jobs and in fact, um, Dr. Danny McVetty and Dr. Mary Gardner created Lap of Love, which is a hospice and home euthanasia based business. And that's all they do all day, every day, because at the end of the day, they, they really do appreciate this gift that they know they can give the animal where suffering does not have to happen and peaceful, beautiful passing can. And so we do actually take this as an honor. But I do know that when my clients look at me and say, you know, what would you do if this was your pet? They're really, truly asking um, for us to tell them it's it's okay to let go. So how do you guys help your clients recognize the time that it is to let go and um, to to feel okay with that? How do you help them bring peace within that moment?
1: Well, for me, a lot of the times it comes with kind of explaining a disease process or um, you know, when a pet presents at the ER or if they're diagnosed with something from a service uh, and they're hospitalized in the ICU, a lot I deal with a, a lot of patient visits and things like that. So the owners are consistently asking me, like, what should we do? What would you do if this is your pet? How does Fluffy look today? You know, what do you think as opposed to yesterday? Is she eating? Like, so I have to uh, really be the liaison, the voice for the animal a lot of the times between the pet and the owner. Even though this owner knows this pet way more than I ever will in the ins and outs of of this animal's life, I'll never understand. But the medical perspective and its life in the ICU, I understand a lot. So I spend a lot of time kind of Explaining diseases and explaining um, the chances of survival, right? A lot of times I'm dealing with cases that uh, they don't have a good chance. You know, if your pet is diagnosed with a disease that only 10% of animals survive after spending five months in the hospital you know those are kind of things that you have to you have to forget about that 10 percent, and you have to listen to those five months you know would you want to spend them at home with your pet and join them or you know is it time right now to let them go so sometimes just putting things into perspective but also with the medical knowledge that I have of of what their pet is going through I kind of use that as a way to kind of um explain what their pet's life would look like if they should choose to keep going and then make a just dis- help them come to the decision if they so if they need that to euthanize their pet or to keep going and treat um, or to kind of do nothing and take a couple days like there's a lot of different Uh, ways to do a a euthanasia, you know? So um, me just helping them, guiding them through that process and that decision-making so they have all the information they need uh, is my number one job.
2: Yeah, and for me, working in internal medicine and even working in a day practice, you get to have these relationships with these people because we're treating things like diabetes. We're treating um, IBD, stuff like that. So we're seeing these patients for a, a long time, um and we're seeing them often for blood work and whatnot. So I'm able to help them. Um, cause I can see how the animal's doing. I can see that maybe the animal looks a little bit rough this time, um, compared to last time. So I can help coach them and say, Hey, look, I noticed this this time. Um, let's keep an eye on that. And then I also, when we're getting closer to the end, I like them to be aware of the process. I think knowing the process, knowing the process isn't something to be feared, is really important too. So when it gets to be, <clears throat> maybe we're a couple months out from what I think is the time for euthanasia, then I'll say, hey, let's talk about this. Let's talk about the five things that your, your baby's loving to do. Um, and then when we check those off, then we're getting closer to the time. This is what we're going to recommend doing. Um, This is the process of euthanasia. Um, This is what we can do after the euthanasia um, and all of that.
0: Okay. So I think that is an important aspect to talk about because I feel like for some people, the choice of euthanasia feels like, quote unquote, killing their pet or ending their pet's life and they take it in a very negative context. And I have to say that's even my own husband feels that way. He really struggles with euthanasia with our pets because he feels like um, we are ending their life. And, and I mean, of course, on a very literal sense, he's right. Um, but for me, it's over the discomfort that they would have to go through with any without any other options and i think it's important for people to understand the actual process of euthanasia and what happens when euthanasia's in the veterinary hospital occur so you know understanding what that passing looks like so Can you guys, you know, kind of explain a little bit about the euthanasia process,
1: how it's done, and and physiologically what happens? So um, euthanasia at my clinic looks different depending on each case. Uh, Sometimes we're doing it in a room where there's a lot of people, like where um, an animal is, say, on a ventilator or in an oxygen cage and is dependent on machines to kind of artificially keep them alive. So there's that kind of less public type of saying goodbye. Uh, But we prefer, and most of the time, try to provide as as close to as possible a private situation where the owner can come in and we have a couple little rooms um, that have like couches and soft lighting and then are like quiet uh, where they won't get disturbed. And I like to make a nice bed for the animal and I'll bring them in with a IV catheter in their uh, little leg. And usually what happens is we are giving a sedative. So we use um, an anesthetic agent uh, that will pretty much make them drift off into sleep where they are uh, pretty much in a surgical plane of anesthesia. So um, they're not feeling anything. They're just sleep. Like I've, I've actually had this same drug during a dentist procedure. And I can tell you from personal experience, it's like the best sleep you've ever gotten. It's the most... It's like floating on a cloud, it's amazing. Uh, And then we give them another drug that immediately and unbeknownst to them stops their heart. So it's a very quick thing and it's a very pain-free thing. And they have no idea what's happening and they're just literally enjoying the best sleep of their life that they'll uh, never wake up from. So I, I like when the owners want to stay. I encourage them to hold their pets and talk sweetly to them as they're leaving. And then I always, of course, leave the room after the procedure is complete uh, for them to spend some time alone uh, saying their final goodbyes.
2: Yeah, I agree. With, with my clinic, it's, it's pretty much the same thing. I love getting in there and setting up the room and just making it as comfortable as I can, maybe having some soft music. And then um, it all depends on your clinic. So some of them might not have access to some of the supplies that maybe a bigger specialty hospital has. Um, so they might not do catheters or something like that. So it might be a little bit different from wherever you are. But Basically, the aspect of things is all the same as what Angie just said.
0: Yeah, and and one thing I want to encourage um, clients and, and pet owners out there to do is to ask for what they need to make sure that the process is is going slow. Feel free to call the clinic and talk with them a little bit about it before. It's really nice if you have a relationship with a clinic, um, but you know if you, if you need more time with your pet, if you um, have questions, I. I, 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 I I have had situations where afterwards clients say, you know, I wish I would have known this or, oh, I wish I would have done that or, you know, whatever it is. So if you have a need, please vocalize it to your uh, your veterinary staff. They want to make this as comfortable as a time for you. And your needs are really important because we know this is hard. Um, there are some options after euthanasia, and there's going to be different options at every veterinary clinic, and most veterinary clinics will um, let you know what they are. But, Ryan, what kind of um, aftercare options do you guys offer for pet owners when they have, um, you know, their pet has crossed the Rainbow Bridge?
2: Yeah, so um, what we have is you can definitely take home for burial, burial if that's something that you're interested or you have the space to do that. Um, the other option is we have cremation. Um, And then my favorite option that's kind of newer, um, but we're in a bigger city, so maybe some of the smaller cities might not have that, is Aquamation, um, where it is basically water that helps cremate the animal, like a really hot water, instead of doing the traditional cremation. It's better for the environment and Um, The company that we have here is called Resting Waters, and it's such an amazing company. We got to go there.
1: I actually never heard of that. I've not heard of that either. Y'all have to look into
2: that. Yeah, it's really awesome. Um, They use it in human medicine, too. Some of it is religion, too. So some religions you can't cremate. Really? And unfortunately, there's not many options for pets like there is for people. So we took a tour of Resting Waters, and the facility is basically like a little house.
0: I personally think people who work for crematoriums are like angels. I think those people are angels. like, And I think they're like the most unsung heroes of veterinary medicine because they return these like the only thing you're gonna have left forever everything from like the bag that they returned the urn in you know what i mean to like how they put your name on it is so meaningful like they put a card in there with like a poem and some lavender and like wow you guys do an amazing thing and no one really fares you know mm-hmm.
2: yeah that's like like resting Waters. so this company is <clears throat> their two sisters that started this company and they're working on changing that aspect of pet loss so they're using it more like human funeral home So they have a staging area in there where you can have your dog and you can bring people in if you're not ready to say goodbye yet after the euthanasia. And you can go in there and they will host basically a wake for your dog. Or you can bring your dogs in there so they can see your other pet deceased and yeah, give that final goodbye. And they've even helped allow the owners to put the animals in the aquamation tank. Just the company is on. Awesome. The process is, uh, I, I'm going to do it for my dogs. Just for the environmental aspect of things and the, the way that they care for pets, even though they're not their own and they're deceased. They are so, so amazing to these pets.
1: And I think that is really important. I think that the number one thing that, that owners, and myself included, have to deal with, with euthanasia is you finally kind of have to hand over the last and final care uh, for your pet that will ever be performed to a total stranger. So I think that as veterinary professionals, it's really important that we can speak from the heart and speak from uh, experience when we recommend a place for final arrangements and final care um, for your pet that we mean that we would trust that place with with our own animals um, as well. So I think that there is sometimes a concern of like, what happens to my pet afterwards? Like, um, how do I know that it's my pet that I'm receiving back if I have gotten ashes in return, you know, things like that. So it's really important um, for us as veterinary professionals to be able to recommend these final arrangement organizations that we have good relationships with for owners.
0: Yeah, it's you're absolutely right. It, we do try to make sure we are using the best of the best. And there are a lot of laws that protect families um, and in these processes. But I do think that these organizations that take care of pet remains do their best to make sure that you do have meaningful returns and meaningful experiences. And I guess the last thing I want to talk about is just um, that grief, the, the, the grief after losing your pet. And I just want to take a moment to bring significance to your fear of losing your pet if you haven't yet and you know that that time is coming. Um, and the sometimes, I guess, people feel a little bit ashamed or, or maybe don't have people around them that understand how, like, oh, it was just a
2: dog or whatever,
0: like, that these are, are family members. And, and science has shown that losing a pet can be even harder than losing a family member.
2: Yeah, I, I've definitely read those studies, too. And just having somebody there that, like, for Remington and me, he's been here with me for the last 14 years, 15 years Um, and being by my side when maybe some of my family hasn't been or friends and that kind of stuff. Um, So the loss that I'm going to have for him when he passes is going to be hard. And it's going to be my decision most likely for when it's time to say goodbye. And that is going to take a toll as it would on anybody. And if you are at a point where you have lost your pet and you're thinking about harming yourself or you just can't handle it, There is a number that you can call. It's the National 24-Hour Crisis Line. And that number is 1-800-273-TALK. So it's 1-800-273-8255.
1: Yeah. In my hospital, we actually have a new addition to our staff who is a social worker. So she's a licensed uh, social care provider for people. And if we identify someone who is maybe having a difficult time um, coming to the terms of their pet's loss or having a hard time making a decision on uh, what I don't want to say what we would consider an obvious, like, case for euthanasia but even sometimes it's hard even seeing your pet suffering you know some people have a hard time coming to the decision to to let go or once they have let go it becomes kind of an overbearing um emotional loss for them so we actually have on on staff a social worker every day so we can just send people up there or we'll call and she has them up to her office and creates a relationship on a whole different level than we can as veterinary professionals so I think that um, if you ask your veterinarian about services like that they can probably also refer you to um, some pet loss hotlines some pet loss uh, counselors Um, they may even have one on their staff
0: it's becoming more popular um, in the veterinary industry to have pet loss support groups within hospitals or towns Mm -hmm. Um, of course Facebook provides all things groups yeah I'm sure there's a
1: thousand online right yeah yeah
0: And Mm -hmm. and if you're feeling sad about the loss of your pet it makes total sense Um, they are family members it you did love them they loved you you gave them the absolute best years of their life no matter how many years they got one way or another they're lucky that you were in their life and if you are struggling with this Decision, um, you know, know that we are here to support you, that we um, appreciate the care that you've given your pets. We appreciate that you love your pets enough to listen to our podcast to learn a little bit more about how to take care of them, how to be the best pet parent you can be. Again, I know this is kind of a sad, a sad one, guys, but I think it's an important one and I appreciate you guys being along for the ride. We would love to see your frosted faces um, or how, you know, you were able to memorialize your pet. I've seen a lot of really cool, um, New ways of memorializing pets with their with their cremation remains. So things like vases and um they do jewelry. Really cool,
1: yeah, they do really cool uh glass blowing now where you can um even make the paw print while they're still with you and then you get like a blown glass like a blown glass paw back that are really cool or you can turn the ashes into ornaments or uh, for you tattoo people I'm a big tattoo person you can even uh, get some tattoo artists to mix the ashes in the ink and memorialize your pet permanently to your body which is something that's pretty cool and neat.
0: Um, There's a lot of really amazing things you can do to memorialize your pet and to remember them and keep them around, um, you know, forever and keep them actually, you know, part of your daily life. So we'd love to see the creative things you've done.
1: You
2: can do that on our social media on Facebook and Instagram at Making Sense of Pets. If you have any questions or concerns, you can email us. Um, However, we do not give medical advice. At Making Sense of Pets at Gmail dot com, and you can find our website on Making Sense of Pets dot com.
1: Make sure to like, subscribe, follow, share, tell all your friends about us on your favorite podcast platform.